and welcome to a historical podcast where we talk about the final fortnight of the NHL Oilers' existence before the league is closed forever because the Omicrons are mad at us. I am joined here today by my two guest co-hosts, Inspirations. Megan, who the hell are you? Um, I'm Megan. I'm a teacher. Uh, today is the very first day of my Christmas break, and I had to wake up very early, much earlier than I normally would have. Um, but I have 16 days off of work, and so now I feel like I could move a mountain. I like the way you opened that story with why I maybe should feel bad, and then uh, closed it with a reason for why I will not be feeling bad. <laughs> Avery, just who do you think you are? Well, I am a so-called hockey writer for Sports Illustrated, the Oilers Rig, Avery Sports Show, the Brian Avery Hour. I am also known as Mr. Raider, Mr. Wrong, and Mr. Vane. <laughs> there was a bowl getting knocked down in the background of that. Oh yes, a plate, a plate just fell in my um, in my Mr. Vein intro. Shout out to shout out to much using dance mix tracks. I do want to make it clear I got the dance mix reference very well played. <laughs> the kitchenware rattling around in the background did not take away from that. Uh, no, it uh, punctuated it perfectly. Hats off to you, sir. All right, friends, the Oilers are 17-11 and 11 with a plus-nine goal differential. However, they are also 4-6 and six in their last 10, which included a five-game losing streak. A jersey has hit the ice. The power play has stopped bailing them out. It's actually been awful lately. Megan, what method of ritual suicide would you recommend for Oilers fans? Um, I, I don't think we have to go that far. I just think that... Uh, uh, Stop living and dying with the team, and you'll just be so much happier. You are uh, sounding dangerously close to agreeing with Jim Matheson, my friend, which is one of the least hip things a person can do. <laughs> I never once pretended that I was hip in any way, shape, or form. But quite honestly, I will say from personal experience that my, uh, I don't want to say lack of interest, but I think the sort of... Um, my interest is much less intense than it used to be, and I find it makes it a lot easier to uh, not get too high or too low when things are going the way that they're going. That's pretty fair. I mean, it tragically, I am not hip either, so I would like to be able to say this with a lot of authority and have uh, people listen to me, but that uh, period of my life is over or was arguably never here. But my point is, Jim Matheson was right. That was a perfectly reasonable thing he said that... Uh, I'm trying to remember what his exact wording was, but, oh, here it is. I just found it. Um, it's sport. The outrage from some fan, fans is like someone broke into their houses and stole their valuables. And the number of people who dunked on that, like, how dare you, Jim? Like, oh, look at this take. That's a, that's a objectively reasonable, insane thing to say. Many of you people do come off as lunatics. Even the smart ones who are making good points still come off as intelligent but insane. Um it does seem fair to point out that that same insanity bought Jim's house. So, you know, he, he's riding a wave that he also helps to create. So you could argue that that part of it's a little bit funny. But I don't know. Avery, what uh, what's your take on this? You know what? Fans are passionate here. It doesn't get to be a little bit too intense. But I got to say as much about the fans who are throwing the jerseys on the ice. To throw it mid-play on the ice is pretty bold. Because if a player or an official trips on that, there's a lawsuit coming your way that you cannot afford. <laughs> that's that's true. You probably, although if you're sitting in the lower bowl, I don't know. You might uh, be a a former part owner. It, uh, those seats are not cheap. But yeah, no, I agree. The that outlet for passion seems positive and healthy to me. Um, like, or ideally, like I will say, when hockey went away the last time, I'm trying to remember what year the last. Oh, uh, during the last COVID break, I was actually a little bit excited to like, okay, maybe I will now begin doing something productive with my life. And I didn't. I think that um, we all need like a certain outlet for just amusement and uh, vain nonsense. And hockey is excellent for that. But when you mistake that amusement and vain nonsense for actually the most important thing in my life, that can't possibly be good. Um, Avery, do you think people should be throwing jerseys? Or do you even want to have this debate? Has this been discussed ad nauseum? Is it a worn out topic? Oh, uh, you know what? I understand his anger, but to me, it's kind of played out. We did, we we were here literally six years ago throwing jerseys on the ice back at Rexall Place. 
I saw a game against the, the Coyotes where fans threw five in one game on the ice. Mm. So to me, it's kind of played out. It's kind of it's kind of um dumb. But someone there's a, there's a great tweet. Someone said that was funnier. Someone said um there'd be more impact if someone threw a vacuum on the ice than a jersey. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> if you chucked a dustbuster into center ice, that might get a different kind of attention. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. I get the argument that hey, that's a lot of money, and you shouldn't just throw it away, and it's insulting to poor people, basically. But on the other hand, this is maybe the only way that you, as a fan, can affect the team. Like that, this is the one thing that the team actually does pay attention to. When jerseys start hitting the ice, uh, that does seem to grab ownership and management's attention, and. As a fan, it doesn't matter how clever your blog is. They're going to ignore it. But as uh, when a jersey hits the ice, it seems to wake them up a little bit. I'm still, I don't know, of mixed feelings. But, yeah, that's, like you said, that's a six-year-old discussion. Let's move on. Uh, Megan, some say they've actually been playing their best hockey, just losing, because that's hockey, baby. Uh, what do you think? Have they been – did they deserve that five-game losing streak? Uh, no, I think that they probably could have won like maybe two of those uh, six or whatever that they lost. Um, and I think sometimes we forget when we're when we're watching that a lot of what happens on the ice is luck related as well, right? Like, I mean, as much as we would like to, as much as we would like to pretend that you know it's all skill that the better skilled teams are always going to win, we know that's not necessarily true. Um, sometimes you get stuck with a goaltender who's having a bit of a slump or, you know, you get a defenseman caught out of position and just gets flat out beats. And then the goalie can't do anything. Like there's a whole bunch of reasons why other team, why the teams are getting scored on and whatnot. Uh, do I think though that the 17 and 11 is outsized for what the Oilers are capable of? Yeah. That nine and one start, I think masked a lot of things that, um, were problems, and now that the Oilers are finally facing some maybe still slightly stronger teams and whatnot, we're starting to see that some of those problems aren't as easily maskable. Reply. Yeah, definitely a big part of that nine and one start was who they were playing. They played a lot of weak teams in those first ten games, and they played a lot of that goes both ways. So they played a lot of especially strong teams in uh, the last few games. Like their their losing streak was to. The Kings, who I think they definitely should beat the Kings. Uh, but then they lost to the Wild, the Bruins, the Hurricanes, and the Maple Leafs. And that's certainly four top ten teams. Arguably, a few of those teams are are better than that. Like, at different times, um, the Leafs and the Canes and the Wild have all been in the top three teams for at least stretches uh, for this league. And I think the Bruins remain very strong. But on the other hand, I don't, if you're, as Bret Hart said, if you want to be the man, you got to beat the man. So saying, well, we're only losing to good teams is sort of saying like your goal is mediocrity in the first place. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, Avery, Duncan Keith is back. Is he better than replacement? Oh, wow. That's a question. I barely, like it's not, a, we all knew what Duncan Keith was going to bring, but he hasn't, he hasn't been horrific, but he's barely above replacement in my mind. He's adequate. And at best really right now. And of course he's back in court, pretty out again in court protocol, but so far this year, He's just been an adequate defenseman. Seeing him play at times one deep pairing, that is not his role right now at 38 years old. But right now, he's just been an adequate defenseman, barely by replacement to me in my mind so far. What he's shown. Is, is adequate still enough to, to help the team? Like, are we better off with Duncan Keith healthy and at least playing as opposed to uh, the Elijah and Broberg Russell rotation? Uh, at this point right now, I don't see much difference, to be quite honest with you, Steve. I really don't see much difference. I would rather give more time to guys like Broberg and, and Ladison than Keith right now because there's times where I, I'll see Keith, and he looks at times like a step behind. Can he still move the puck? Yes, he can. But there are times you'll see he is so behind the play. He'll get caught for a hook and call. Like You can see that the game is, is too fast for him now still. Well, his advanced stats are interesting. I'm afraid I don't have them in front of me. I couldn't find uh, what I was looking at the other day, but... You don't come to this podcast for facts anyways, but uh, the stats that I saw, they look like pretty consistent with what he's been doing the last few years, actually, which he looks quite good when he's playing with good players and quite bad when he's playing with bad players. And to me, that's not worth $5 million, but it is better than Slayer Kachu. Um, it's, uh, 
I don't know. I have a hard time rating that. I don't think playing well with good players is a skill that everyone has. Like we talk about it as if it's very easy, but uh, it's, he certainly hasn't really been uh, moving the needle. Megan, what is Duncan Keith still good at? Like there's no question that he was elite at one point and that he's not elite now, but what, what skills have followed him through to the present day? Um, Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'm not sure. I think I'm the Duncan Keith of questions. <laughs> um, I think one of the things that um, maybe, and I don't know, this season I think it's hard to tell because you've got, um, you know, the COVID protocol and all that kind of, I feel like in a regular season where we didn't have to worry about quarantines and tests and vaccination statuses and all of those sorts of things, I'm not making excuses or anything. But I feel like this isn't a season to like necessarily look at guys who are in that point in their career. Like Keith, is that like the guys that are like kind of 35 plus and be like, well, they've lost a step in this and this. I'm not sure that this is necessarily the best place to sort of compare to what they could be and and where they are and that sort of thing. But I do think that um, I do think that he's he can be pretty steady on that bottom pair uh, and shuffle up into the second pair if he needs to. Uh, he's no, no, not good enough to be a top pair defenseman anymore. And I feel like coaching staff has mostly realized that. So that's a good thing. Um, and I mean, at the end of the day with your defensemen, sometimes you just need, need guys who can eat minutes. And I think he's one who can, I think in terms of like his, the physical shape that he's in, he probably can eat a lot of minutes when necessary. And so if they ever get down to five defensemen in a game or whatever, there is that. Um, I think that that's, and I think that that's maybe an underrated um or underappreciated sort of contribution when it, cause we look for like the elite defensemen and all of these sorts of things, but sometimes you just need somebody who can be out there for a while um, while you're sort of shuffling around everybody else. He does continue to average uh, or this season his average has been 20 minutes a game. And by all accounts, he still is in fantastic shape. This is actually a part of aging that um, I find really interesting is what exactly is it about you that gets worse because there are players like Keith or Andrew Ference is another good example who they still have the athleticism of a young man. So then what exactly is it that is going? Um, and I don't totally know the answer because I noticed definitely as I play beer league, I'm getting much worse at certain things. I really just can't seem to create scoring chances this year. I don't know what my problem is, but then let's also consider that I haven't worked out that much in the last few years. and was never that good to begin with. So if you're actually elite, um, I know the common wisdom is hands are the first thing to go, but I don't know. Avery, have you noticed that there's any reliable thing that uh, I think it probably depends on player to player, but um, what do you, what do you feel erodes a person most about aging? Is it the mental game? I would say mental game. I would, I would say um, to the extent you, you, if you're, if you're only play, if you're a great player, you, you always think the game well. It's funny because you mentioned someone like Andrew Farron, who I worked, I've known for almost 10 years now. I talked to him a few years ago about this kind of stuff. And one thing he said that in terms of an athlete's abilities, where he he's still someone, like when he went out onto LTIR, he yeah. said that he is still physically able to run and jump and run the November project. But it got to a point where his body no longer let him skate at a high level. And it's weird because we think about, we think about how, how demanding sport is, though. It's weird. At a certain point, the body just stops functioning to be able to get on skates and play an NHL game, but it still is able to run a marathon or run steps. It's kind of weird, but I think the physical side one is more important to lose. You can always think you, you can always think the game well. I think if you're a high level athlete, be it Duncan Keith or uh, whoever else, just that the body sometimes refuses to to do what you might want to do. So. Yeah, you make an interesting point. I feel I spoke clumsily there when I said the mental game because obviously experience, in some ways, the mental game will be the strongest part of, yeah. a, of an aging player's game. I more meant um, those like really quick decisions, um, mm. which like I know, like for example, again, I'm in my, my late 30s. Sometimes I just can't remember the word that I'm thinking of. And I assume there's a hockey equivalent of that where you kind of know what to do, but your brain's just a little slower at arriving at that place, even though you have the poise and composure of a vet um but this is total speculation on my part i don't know that's actually really interesting that uh that he said that i do find that the players who age the best are guys like zidane ochara mm-hmm. or um mario lemuse maybe like the quintessential example of guys who were never relying on being quick in the first place like i think whether it's your hands your feet or your mind as you get older you're just 
your quickness across the board tends to go down. So if you weren't relying on quickness, you probably ate well. Like I'm, I mean, I'm totally cherry picking examples here, but Pavel Burry was one of the best players in the league until he just what suddenly wasn't an NHLer anymore. Um, which is why I do worry a little bit for McDavid's aging curve. So much like he obviously is excellent at almost everything and does think the game at a very high level. I don't think he gets enough credit for that. But as he loses his speed, I'll be curious to see how he uh, evolves. Whereas someone like Leon Dreisaitl reminds me a lot of Lemieux. Like Lemieux, I don't. I talk about this all the time, but he came back and was the slowest player in the league by far, and was still by far the most dangerous offensive player because he was uh, like his quickness helped him when he was younger, but it was never a key cog in his machine. And I kind of see Dreisaitl as a, a similar guy. I wonder if we'll see a 40 year old Leon Dreisaitl doing Alex Ovechkin like things um, more on that later. Uh, Megan Cody CC is back. Would you say he's been a pleasant surprise or just not as bad as you feared? Uh, let's go with option number two. Um, I didn't know a lot about Cody CC before uh, the Oilers sent him. I just would see like people on Twitter, uh, from like Leafs Twitter talking about him and how you know I don't know. Everyone just seems seem to have like this very negative opinion of him, and so I was like, oh, I'm not expecting very much. And I guess like he hasn't been terrible, and I think that's maybe the nicest thing I can say about him. Yeah, that's fair. I, the games that I've uh, caught and analyzed, he certainly hasn't seemed terrible. Um, like he's there, yeah. he's doing things, which honestly is not not terrible. He's like much like Keith. He's playing 20, 20 minutes a game. He's um, he's out there. He's he's doing stuff. Um, I don't have a. <laughs> I wish I had a more in depth uh, analysis of him, but I I never loved that contract. But yeah, I can we can handle a guy who's there. Um, this next question is kind of three questions put together. Uh, Stuart Skinner had three very bad games, and then they sat him for a while. But he looked very good last night or the night before against um, Columbus, and he's still rocking a 922. Uh, you're not going anywhere without a goalie in this league. Is a young 23-year-old Stuart Skinner, how much confidence does he fill you with? And here's the in brackets. Here's the real question, Avery. Should the Oilers trade for Marc-Andre Fleury? Because if you think that none of the three guys they have right now are up to the task of being a Stanley Cup winning starting goaltender, I don't know who else you're possibly going to get. There's not a lot of starting goalies available midseason. And, well, some teams, their goaltending is so bad that they just need, like, a mid-tier platoon guy. The Oilers have three mid-tier platoon guys. Uh, if they trade for anyone, they need a starter. And the, the only person who's available is Flurry. So, um, yeah, they... Yeah, Avery, should they trade for Fleury? For the record, I will go out here and say that I am very much a Stuart Skinner fan. I've liked his game so far this year. I don't feel his team has really lost a game because of Stewart. I mean, there may be a couple of games where he struggled, yes, but I don't feel he's cost them a game like we've had with Koskinen or Smith. He still has a 922 save percentage. He, and he gets across the crease very well. He's a big goaltender. And again, he's only 23 years old. It's rookie season. This, this game can develop so much more still as the years go on. But should they trade for Flurry? I do believe they should. Yes, a little bit of a resurgence in Chicago because I don't want I don't want if Stuart Skinner needs to break I don't want them to go back to Koskinen or Smith who have proven that they're not the guys in net. Mark Andre Flurry is still a goaltender who has found a way to win in Pittsburgh in Vegas and will be definitely great a great add to bring at the, at the trade deadline and he still has playoff success. So I would much rather go into a postseason series with the tandem of. Uh, Skinner and Flurry than than um than Koskinen and Smith part three. Mark Andre Flurry as a like his career fascinates me because I've heard a lot of people say exactly what you're saying like well he's the man he knows how to do all this stuff he's the reigning Vesna champion he's so reliable I have never seen such collective amnesia about a player Mark Andre Flurry came to Vegas with the reputation as the guy who had cost Pittsburgh several playoff series. Not just one, but several times. He was like, oh, well, he's the reason why they did not go anywhere in the playoffs is he blew that entire series. And even if you look at his regular seasons in Pittsburgh, they were consistently pretty good. Like He was always a starting caliber goalie, which is something, but he was never great. 
And then he got to Vegas and suddenly became their best player. And he absolutely deserved the Vesna win last year. I I don't know how to feel about him. I don't know if we are trading for for Mr. Reliable as he's still is he still the guy who has uh, collapsed in the playoffs a couple times? I genuinely, I don't know. And like I said, I think we already have three guys capable of being mid-tier platoon guys. The only way I'm trading for Flurry is if I really believe he can be the starter. He had, he started off this season with 10 terrible games, but then he's been quite good since then. And he's he's got his save percentage up to about league average, maybe even a little bit better at that 9-1-3. So uh, I don't know. Megan, thoughts on that? Well, I just the thing you just said about his he is he still gonna collapse in the playoffs. I'm like, well, I mean the team has collapsed in the playoffs the last few times. So like yeah, I, I don't know. What's you know that? what I mean? I I feel like um I feel like having uh somebody like a Marc Andre Fleury in net for the Oilers down the stretch and into the playoffs is probably not necessarily a bad thing. Um because he's proven that he can win and those sorts of things. Whereas I think the guys that we have on the roster, whoever they happen to be, uh, definitely have not proven that thing. Go. Okay. So connected to that, the Oilers bottom six has a history of being bad or pardon me, a history of not being bad. There are, at least three players who are historically decent in that bottom six. And Dave Tippett has a history of being an excellent coach of low-talent players. That's kind of how he made his reputation of being good in Arizona. Say what you want about the guy. He really knows how to coach a 1-1 tie with a bunch of guys who shouldn't be in the NHL. The oldest bottom six has been terrible, by far the worst bottom six in the league. Who is not living up to their history here? Are these players getting worse or is Tippett getting exposed? Oh, sorry. Avery, you started to talk. I was going to say, I'll do the mix of both because you mentioned right there the bottom six. Um, Colton Sevier's goal against Toronto was the first bottom six goal by a forward since November 20th. That is awful to see that the bottom six went that long without scoring a goal. I think it's a combination of both because um, a lot of guys have now struggled to find a place there. Um, Kyle Turris has struggled again. Devin Shore has struggled again. We saw against Columbus, the bottom six did step up, but I think it's a combination of both. And because Tippett keeps on riding certain bottom six guys into the lineup, and they keep underperforming. I don't know what the fascination is to keep uh, certain guys in the lineup, like Shore, like Turris, who have struggled day in, day out, have not really done a ton. I mean, Derek Ryan scored great. I, I still believe in Derek Ryan. He scored against the Jackets, great, but they're going to need a lot more production from that bottom six core. Yeah, I mean, I mean, more production would be ideal, but they're also getting caved in defensively. Like if they were just going out there playing low event hockey, I think we could live with that considering uh, how high event our top six can be, but they've been just getting scored on like crazy. Yep. They have, uh, like you said, Derek Ryan has a history of being a very good, it's one point in his career is even a middle six player, but now as a, a bottom six player has been good for Calgary the last few years. Um, Colton Savoir was a decent one for Pittsburgh. Zach Cassian, uh, he's almost too debatable to even talk about, but uh, there's a lot of guys who seem to have fallen off hard. Kyle Turris being the poster child for those, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It'd be one thing if Devin Shore was going out there playing low event hockey. Uh, Megan, you're a tactical mastermind. Is is it Tippett's fault, or are these guys just not good? Does Holland need to get better players? I think it's a combination of both. Um, I think we've seen potentially uh, with Tippett some stubbornness on how he deploys his roster uh, and sort of an unwilling, an unwillingness to make some changes that may or may not benefit the team. For example, splitting up uh, Dress Edel and McDavid and having like three lines, trying to run three lines might be better than uh, concentrating all of your scoring on your top line. Um, but I also think that that bottom six is pretty garbage. I don't think... I don't think there are many coaches who could do very many good things with that bottom six combination that we have i'm gonna push back a little bit i i just i realize that uh that Derek ryan is about to turn 35 so much like uh the andrew france who great guy uh but once you turn a certain age you're just kind of done as an nhl player and it's perfectly reasonable for that age to be in your mid-30s like if Derek ryan is done that would not be weird um, but Warren Fogle was a pretty good player for um, Carolina. 
Zach Cassian has been a good player at times in his life. Um, I'm not really a fan of what he's done for the last year and a half, but he at least has had moments. Um, I don't quite think the bottom six is garbage. And also, I I don't think the fourth line matters that much, especially the way that uh, Dave Tippett coaches, which that fourth line does not get a lot of minutes. So even if your fourth line is not good, they just don't play enough to really be costing you games. And the third line doesn't look... It doesn't look like it should be the worst third line in the league. I'll put it that way. And it pretty much has been. Um, but I, I, I don't know. No one's hard to say. So here's the the third part of this question. Jacob Chikrin is basically Darnell Nurse. Um, the, he's younger and he's cheaper, but we're talking about a, a guy who is renowned for being a fantastic athlete and who shoots a lot and um, who rode a high shooting percentage to leading the NHL in goals. Uh, he was behind, I think, only Darnell Nurse for leading the NHL in even strength points. Um, both those things, obviously, from a defenseman. They just stack up next to each other very, very similarly. They're both physical. Uh, they both, though, aren't defensive experts. But what they get done, they get by on a lot of uh, strength and hard-nosed play. Do we need two of them? But here's the real question. Is Jacob Chikrin, for those of you who don't know, has been linked uh, to the Oilers. So those are apparently at least looking at him. If you could only fix one thing, Avery. Are you going to fix the goaltending, the bottom six, or the second pair D? And yeah, I know that we could theoretically fix all three, but there's only so many draft picks to go around. So let's just assume there's you can only fix one. Which one are you fixing? Which one am I fixing? I gotta say, I'm gonna fix the goaltending first. I'm gonna say fix the goaltending first because no playoff team that has a deep run or contends gets there without having a solid uh, number one goalie or at least a decent tandem. Edmonton, Edmonton didn't have it against Chicago, didn't have it against Winnipeg. You can get by with the bottom six struggling defensively. You can get by with that kind of thing. But if the goaltending is not up to snuff in a seven-game series, you're done. You're not going to go very far in a postseason, I feel. Uh, That's a good point, Megan. Yeah, I think that over time, like, I think you could win a bunch of regular season games kind of being top-heavy. But I think that over time, like, you just – you need that depth and you need – uh, you need to sort of work your way through um, and you have to again going back to the question about like Keith and what what good does he have and you can eat up minutes I think you need a bottom six that can be reliable and consistent and then maybe they're not going to outscore your top line but they should be able to produce I, I'm tempted to go with the D even though I think Avery is correct and I will admit that really good the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, recent two back-to-back cups jump to mind. Teams have won cups with mediocre defensive core. That second year, Chris Letang didn't play a game, I think, the whole playoff. So uh, they were intensely mediocre, and they still won a cup. I still, just looking at that roster, that's where I see the most glaring weakness. I will go so far as to say, if you fix the D, I think you at least help the bottom six. Because one of the problems is the way Tippett likes to stack his roster is the bottom six is usually playing with one of the bottom two pairs. They like to, to keep uh, Nurse and Bouchard with the uh, elite offensive players. So you got your bottom six playing with uh, Barry and uh, Cuckoo. That's not going to be doing them a ton of favors. If you fix the D, they're going to be doing a little bit better. Uh, I am curious if Jacob Chikrin is the guy. It's fun to be linked to bigger names, and he's a – not a huge name, but he's big-ish. I think there's a lot to like about his game. Um, do we need a second uh, Darnell Nurse? Is that, I mean, I'm my basic philosophy is a good player is a good player, but it also sounds like uh, he's going to cost a ton. So I don't know. Are you interested in Jacob Chipkin, uh, Avery? I am interested. I know he's similar, very similar to Darnell Nurse, but I still think bringing him on is a bit of a, is a bit of an addition to the to the roster. The defense pairing, we've we seen the blue line, how the blue line is still fairly young. He's a veteran, and it can help the young D-man core. And his offensive game is decent. I mean, defensively, there's a little bit of issues. But I don't see how it could hurt bringing someone who is a veteran presence, who has a little bit of offensive upside. And also, too, look at how COVID is running through the league. You're going to have guys who are missing this lineup for a bit. So why not bring him in and see what he can do for this roster? Megan? Thoughts on that? Who would you be targeting if you were going to fix the D? Do you have any uh, better suggestions, or are you all in on Chikrin? Well, I don't know. I mean, there's obviously better defensemen out there, but I don't think 
the others are going to be able to give up what they need to give up to get them. I think that's maybe the, I think the cost is, is the question. I read something this morning that um, uh, the others are all in and Arizona wants four things in return. There, there was no indication of what those four pieces were. So it could be like a bag of chips and like some other stuff, but they want four things in return for chicken. Um, somebody yesterday was commenting how instead of uh, chicken, they should go get Lawson Kraus. <laughs> and then I thought about that. <laughs> People like, worries that when the McDavid draft lottery they would screw it up somehow and take lots of cards anyway um but anyway uh, I don't know I don't know like I say I don't know if there's anyone that the others can afford at this point in time because I kind of feel speaking of Darnell Nurse that that Darnell Nurse contract uh maybe has handicapped them a little bit in terms of being able to acquire some of those missing pieces uh because he costs an awful lot of money he does and he's like about to cost more like I I think like most uh, fans in Edmonton, I like Darnell Nurse. I think that he's a good player. Is he a $9.5 million hockey player? I am unconvinced. The thing that makes Chikrin actually a very interesting option is he only costs 4.6 this year and then three more after that. So if you feel that you need to both get a genuinely good defenseman, not a decent defenseman, but a good defenseman, and you think Chikrin is good. It can be hard to analyze guys who are playing on very bad teams, which he certainly is. Uh, that's might be affordable, um, especially like if hypothetically, if Duncan T- Keith were to retire at the end of this year, then that's less money than we're less cap hit anyway, than we're, we're paying Keith. Like we could afford him. And the other potentially beautiful thing is Arizona right now. They're well over the cap floor, but they have, I think, like literally 80% of their team is uh, on an expiring deal and they're probably wherever they go, they're going to be low on money and it's going to be an issue for them to get to the cap floor. As long as we're going to be paying a lot for Jacob Chikrin, maybe we could pay a little more and they would retain a little bit of money. Like that could turn into a very high value contract for three years after this one. I think his contract is actually uh, maybe more enticing than his high end as a player. Um, which also very enticing. He's got a great high end. I'm not, I don't watch enough Coyotes uh, hockey to have a, a great beat on who he is right now, but you can just like take a look at his uh, career numbers and it's pretty obvious that he's got a very high ceiling. So it, it's, as you said, Darnell Nurse's contract is going to be an issue. So getting a guy who is locked up for this year and three more is intriguing. And I might have to follow the Tampa Bay Lightning's lead and overpay for somebody eating salary like they paid a first and a fourth for a few months of David Savard because they got three quarters of his uh contract eaten and how did that work out for them I'm glad you asked they won the Stanley Cup one of those uh things that we would have to pay was probably Kyler or at least possibly Kyler Yamamoto uh is Kyler Yamamoto any good Avery Avery has disappeared well no my mic was off (laughs) I still feel I still believe in Kyle Yamamoto. I still believe that there's upside to him. I know his past few games he has struggled. He hasn't got a shot in seven games, which is bizarre to think about. But I still feel there's an upside to his game. I would not want to part with him. I still feel that there's a future for him in Edmonton for both him and Puliarvi on this roster. But I've a I do have a feeling that this team would trade him to get someone like Jacob Chikrin in. Would I do it myself? Hell no. Hmm. Really? I. I think that I probably would. Kyler Yamamoto is definitely an intriguing player. Like, it was pretty neat. He Well, first of all, he had fantastic numbers in junior. He was well worth uh, being drafted, I believe, at uh, 17th. He had a history of producing uh, offense. And then he came into the league as a 21-year-old rookie and scored 26 points in 27 games, part of the dry line. It was a, it was a beautiful run. We were all very excited. Then the next year, he only managed 21 and 52. But, hey, that sophomore slump. This year, in addition to going seven games without a shot, as you pointed out, he's averaging one shot a game, uh, which is not enough for a guy getting his minutes with his players. He also only has one assist. He's got five goals and one assist in 28 games. I'm not saying that I'm ready to give up on him. He does a lot of things well. He draws a ton of penalties. That's fantastic. But I don't see the kind of prospect that we should say, oh, he's off the table. If you think that the Oilers are in like win-now mode, We've got to really do something. The fan base is starting to uh, sour on this current iteration. We have to keep our stars happy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
I'm tempted to say he's the ideal player that we should be including in a deal. In that, I'm not sure what his present value is. And we're like, no matter who we trade for, if they're good, we can agree it's going to be expensive. So it's not that I want to give him up, but I also don't want to trade a first. I also don't want to trade Xavier Bourgeau. I don't want to trade uh, Broberg or Holloway. But I'm going to have to give up one of those guys, maybe a combination of those guys, if I'm going to get someone good. So, Matt, Megan, do you see the Oilers in win-now mode, or do you think that uh, we need to hang on to guys like Broberg and Yamo? I think the Oilers think they're in win-now mode, but I don't think they are in win-now mode. Because if they were, I feel like some of the things that would have happened over the offseason might have been different. Um, that being said, um, I don't think in, in professional sport, I don't think any player is ever truly off the table. And that includes a superstar. I'm not saying they're going to trade their top two, but I truly don't believe, I think for the right price, I think any player is, is, is in, you can be in talks and it, yeah, sure. There's no move clause and no trade clauses or whatever. All the, all the player has to do is agree to go. And that waves the clause in the contract. So it's ultimately a moot point. Um, do I think the others should uh, include Yamamoto in a package? Yeah, absolutely. Someone's willing to take uh, a a player of his supposed caliber, whose production has dropped off so significantly that it's almost non-existent, uh, and is willing to take that on. Yeah, go for it. Is not contributing anything here, so make him not contribute somewhere else. <laughs> I think I don't know. I think you might be underrating him a little. He still draws a ton of penalties, and he costs virtually nothing. I think he's a little over one million dollars, um, and we need a lot of hockey per dollar right now with what we're spending on the top end of our roster. But I am inclined to agree that uh, I just, I don't think being a mid tier playoff team, second round out team is going to be acceptable for us because I just don't think it's realistic to expect a team from Edmonton to uh, keep McDavid and Dreisaitl once they hit the UFA market. I just, I don't see that happening. Um, So I am, I would not, Selling the future to win, uh, to go deep a couple of years would not have been my plan A, but after um, the worst GM certainly of the century and then another guy who came in and has not been great, um, I think that I, I'm i willing to compromise on my vision. Uh, so, I, yeah, Yamamoto is definitely on the table for me. I was at the Ethan Bear game, and it was beautiful and moving. Um, there were... A lot of uh, Indigenous people there. It was, to be honest, it was impossible not to notice walking around. And he got maybe the best ovation that I've ever heard for the, you know, the welcome a returning player back for his first game, what's not or always not or that kind of thing. He himself teared up. It was a beautiful moment. You couldn't help at some point to say, hey, how could they have traded a guy this beloved? But Avery, should the PR department factor into hockey decisions? Another part of my brain was like, hey, they shouldn't even be thinking about that. Just thinking about, even though I think it was a bad trade, I think it's fair that uh, him being very popular with certain parts of the community was not a factor in keeping him. What do you think? Uh, I think it should play a role to an extent. Of course, a big thing is, of course, a big thing is, you know, you do want to win, whatever. But I still feel that trade was not the best trade. I still feel you could have had a Warren Fogle and keep Ethan Bear. That is not I will that's I will I will you know when I when I turn into dust again in 400 years I'll believe I'll go down believing that. But I think Pierre does play an impact because he was someone who in his market was beloved, should have had more support and I, I, I was watching a game in Hamilton at my, at my um, cousin's house. But yeah, no, the support there was massive. But I feel Pierre does play a role in that. And he is someone who I feel hopefully one day he might return, but I feel like Pierre does play a role in that because he was someone who was beloved, had a major influence on, on the culture in the city. So it's, it, it, it's an interesting question because he was someone who, even right there, Stephen, the jerseys were everywhere for this guy. He was the game of the game of tree video. Like he is someone who I really feel should not have been traded and should still have been Orler. But well, I certainly agree with that. But I would, I think I would say that, uh, like for strictly hockey reasons, like Megan, I'll, I'll flip it to you and and put it in different terms. Are the Canadians right to say we need at least one French guy on the team every year, plus as many as possible? Like they clearly, uh, they don't have a ton right now and haven't for the last couple of years, but they always have to have a couple. They just have to. Is that smart? Is that good for them to connect to their community that way? Oh, I think she's muted. <laughs> oh. 
All right, I'll just flip the question back to you, Avery. How does that compare to French people? Oh, wait, it's not going to be recording if she's... Um, dear. Oh, dear. Uh-oh. <laughs> this is my most tech issue. Yeah, it's still controlled recording. Oh, it is recording. Megan is assures us that it is recording. Okay, Avery, okay. what do you think? Is it the same as French oh. players in Montreal? If you were in Montreal, would you... Would you, as a francophone, insist on a couple of French guys, or would you just want to see the team win? I, I think to an extent having a couple there is still important, but at the end of the day, winning a Stanley Cup is still the most important thing. Should you have a couple? Yes, sure, you can. It, again, it is Quebec, and again, that is a market that is so much different than any other franchise in the NHL. Because someone, uh, my, my uh, colleague on Zone Time on Yahoo Sports, Julian McKenzie, Julian covers the Canadians, and he said how if you're bad, the fan lets you know about it in two different languages. Like, you're getting it doubly. You're getting feedback doubly. So I think that eh, there should be a place for a couple, but should be should be NLB for Montreal? No, the end goal is still one Stanley Cup. But I think there is still something to say about it, having a few French players here and there, and also some French impact in your front office. True, true, true. All right, let's move around the league. Are the Ducks actually any good? Ooh, hey, all these, they're, they're currently leading the Pacific, but uh, that's on the back of Troy Terry absolutely ripping it up. Um, obviously, they, they've got some other players too, though. Do you, do you believe in them? I do believe in them. I actually do. They were a team who, I said before on different shows, I thought the Ducks were going to be a bottom-tier team. I thought Dallas Aikens was going to be fired by Christmas, but they're surprising me a lot. And it isn't just Troy Terry as well. They're also getting great production from guys like Sonny Milano, Trevor Zegras. They're a team that's finding a way to sustain themselves in the Western Conference right now. And I really do believe in them being a playoff team who I think could possibly shock a team and win a series, I think, Stephen. It, I mean, you mentioned Sonny Milano. Obviously, Zegers is getting all the attention. But, uh, yeah, Sonny Milano, he's finally arriving at age 25. He was a first-round pick who just kind of bounced around the league for a while. He's got 21 points, 27 games. Ryan Getzloff has uh, the Nuge-like numbers of one goal and 20 assists in 27 games. Kevin Shattenkirk is coming back. Um, they are getting it done as a team. Dallas Eakins is finally vindicated. Um, I don't think they're going to finish at the top of the Pacific, but I'm inclined to agree with you that their, their record right now is so good that I like their odds for making the playoffs. Uh, I don't totally believe in them, but um, – I don't know. You just kind of you have to like their odds with how many games they've how many wins they've already banked. Uh, here's, I think, a more interesting question: Should Jim Benning be screaming "I told you so" at the TV? Because this roster, which was universally mocked, and he was called the worst active GM in the league uh, since they fired the coach and him along with it. Tragically, they've won six straight under Bruce Boudreau. They're back in the playoff hunt, sort of. They probably still won't make it. But uh, six straight wins. The roster, at least, doesn't look like a joke anymore. Does uh, does Jim Benning have a, the right to strut a little bit, Megan? Um, yeah, I think actually he does a little <laughs> bit. Um, sorry about that. Technical difficulties. Um, yeah, I think he does. I, I think the roster, I don't think it was as bad as people were saying that it was. I honestly think uh, when you make a coaching change, I think this one you see the most immediate impact um and sometimes it's just like hearing a new voice uh I think we all know that Bruce Boudreaux is a good coach I don't think that that's really anyone's ever really doubted that and I think um that the roster obviously the the team is responding to that I think Benning I don't think Benning was as bad as people gave him um the gears for I don't think he was great but I think he's probably looking at this now and being like yeah I knew this was possible I'm going to give you a little put. I think he was bad in ways that you can't see just from looking at their their current roster. Like, I think he managed their cap terribly. And like like a lot of hockey people, he was probably better at player evaluation than he got uh, credit for. Like, he um, made some nice draft picks. But he didn't ever seem to understand the cap. Um, and I think that is what got him his reputation for being bad. However, it is fair to point out that if you look at their their roster right now, they have a good top nine. Like, it's not just not bad. I would call it a pretty good top nine and a very good young goalie. Their big issue is their defensive core is very expensive, of debatable quality, and not that good at defending. 
And if that sounds familiar to Oilers fans, in the very least, you should agree they shouldn't have been the worst team in the league with uh, with that. Although I'm not sure if Elias Pettersson has ever actually been as good as his fancy stat reputation might lead you to believe. But he's certainly very good. Um, I think if the team bounces up to maybe making the playoffs, maybe not, that would make more sense. But part of this is, Avery, why didn't he fire the coach weeks ago? Why did he take this long? Like, why didn't Jim Benning make this coaching change? Some uh, question, how much do coaches matter in hockey? I feel that is another hotly contested question. Uh, Steven, you are asking me to try and break down and make logic of the Vancouver Canucks of 2021. That is a task that I don't know is possible. But, <laughs> you know, I don't really, I really don't feel that it was all on the feet of someone like a Travis Green. I think he is still a really good coach. I think he has got a, a crap hand handed to him with his franchise right now. But I really don't know why he wasn't fired earlier in the season. And I don't know why I don't know why Benning was like, <laughs> <in the background. laughs> I don't know if you just heard my dogs go nuts because the UPS guy showed up. But. Oh yeah, yeah. Are you gonna are you gonna bite the mailman? Are you gonna bite him? They no. Well, he's. I'm hoping that he's just dropping the package off. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we can keep going. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Nobody likes talking about the Canucks. Uh, hey, you know what's more fun to talk about? Alex Ovechkin has caught Connor McDavid for the lead in points, not goals, points. Alex Ovechkin has more assists than he does goals right now. Um, Megan, how's this possible? I, I, you know what? Good question. I have no idea, but I do like Alex Ovechkin and I hope he scores a goal uh, every game from now until he retires. And I hope he retires in 243 games so he can have uh, well over a thousand goals. Um, I don't know. I think, honestly, I think what's happened with him in, in the later stages of his career, it's not that he was, I don't think he was ever like a, a sort of a selfish player or anything like that. But I think that as he's gotten a little bit older, he's very, very good at doing a couple things. And one of those things, obviously, is scoring from that spot. Um, but I also think that he's developed that part of his game where he's able to um, make those plays and maybe not always take the shot. Because I think now, finally, what, year 17 or whatever it is that he's in, teams are finally starting to figure out that, like, he's going to shoot the puck. Uh, and so now he just makes the pass instead, and it's kind of nice to see. And then he, the one thing about him that I like more than anything is how much he loves playing hockey. Yeah, I like remember. he loves scoring goals. He loves all of the things, and I very much enjoy watching him do it. And I feel like he's at the point now where he's just like, I'm going to keep doing what I need to do in order to keep playing hockey for as long as I can. Yeah, he's on pace for a career high in assists, and I just think that is neat. Um, the thing that really stood out to me the year that both Ovechkin and Crosby were drafted, they were obviously extremely different players. Stylistically, they had, I'll say, nothing in common. Um, and they even expressed what I'm about to say in very different ways. But the thing that was neat about both of them is they clearly both loved hockey. Like there's a lot of uh, very talented people who seem to not mind playing hockey and will happily do it for a million dollars. But these were two guys who they loved it. Uh, they loved it in very different ways. Like Ovechkin was obviously explosive and boisterous in his joy and delight. Whereas uh, Crosby was more the, oh, well, I've, I just found the thing that I was meant to do, but it uh, it seemed to make them both very happy, and I enjoyed watching that joy uh, express itself in its own way from both those guys. Um, Avery, uh, another thing, Kale McCarr is, I think, only sixth in the defensive uh, point race, but he's on pace for 40 goals. Uh, that's pretty rad. Have you noticed that? Have you seen this? Have you heard about this? I have, yeah. I mean... Kill McCarr's game, he is someone who I've loved watching with the Colorado Avalanche. He's going to be the face of that franchise on the, on the blue line. He's going to be one of their, their top-tier defenders for a very long time. And you mentioned 40 goals. Being a 40-goal defenseman in any era of hockey is, is so rare to see. That is the thing that guys like Bobby Orr did, Paul Coffey did. Getting to that level of scoring for a defenseman is almost unheard of now. And he is someone who's going to make this Avalanche team better as the years go on. I remember, he is someone who was drafted out of AJHL which almost never happens in the, in the hockey world. So I'm loving his game. I want, I want to see where his game is at when he's 25 or 26, because he's only, he's only 23 years old. He's still got a lot of growing to grow in his game on the, on the back end for Colorado. One of my uh, most controversial opinions is if the NHL, like if it restarted, if we put all players in the pool and you could draft them, and so you have to factor age and uh, contract into account, I think I'm taking Kale McCarr second. 
Uh, like you said, he's 23. Um, his, he's no longer super cheap, but he's just so young and he's just so good. Obviously, I think I'm taking Connor first. I'm not saying that Makar is the second best player in the league. I think considering his age, he's the guy that I take second. So uh, I'm probably very biased because I like him and I like watching him. He seems like a neat guy in interviews and he's an absolute blast to watch play hockey. Um, I don't know what the Avalanche are doing with the goaltending, but whatever, we're, we're kind of about to stop talking about the NHL. I've got one last question for you. Megan, the Kraken are way down. I think they're uh, they're last in the West. Um, should Ron Francis be fired, or did they just get unlucky with goaltending? Sub-question, could we just trade for Adam Larson and make uh, like a deal, a wink-wink deal that we'll trade him back in the summer? And then everybody wins. Who doesn't win in that scenario? Um, I don't think Francis should be fired. No, I think um, for a whole bunch of reasons. But like, yes, all these guys have played NHL hockey before, but it's a new team, new city, all those kind of things. I think you got to give the guy a full season. Um, I don't think we can trade. For, I don't know. I don't think I think we could, in theory, trade for Adam Larson and trade him back in the summertime. But I feel like that's not a hockey man thing. So therefore, it's not even in the uh, in in the realm of possibility. Avery, you're a genius. What do you think? I got to agree, Megan. I don't think the hockey man move would be to make a deal like that. I mean, it'd be nice, but I don't think the hockey men are thinking like that and make kind of a deal like that possible because they, I, I mean, if I were him, it'd be nice to get back to a team that has success right now, but no, I don't think that's a hockey man move that would happen. You are uh, both probably right on that one. And with that, that concludes the hockey talk on this, the final ever hockey podcast in the history of the <laughs> NHL. And clearly also our best one ever. Uh, it's, each one is better than the next. <laughs> Avery, yes. I will now hand it over for you, to you, sorry, for another round of highly inappropriate and personal questions. All right. Oh, boy. Here we go. Here we go. All right. My first question for this segment. Other than myself, who is the last person on earth you would both want to, to cook you a meal? Ah. Uh, <laughs> Can I say my grandma from uh, like 20 years ago when she was still cooking? <laughs> sure. All right. My my grandma. <laughs> was she that bad? Years. No, she was yeah. great. Well, like, see, this I is the thing. Avery would be bad. This is the whole point. I don't know if you've uh, read any of his food opinions, but they are objectively terrible. Oh, uh, so I'm, last. I, I was yeah. picturing like, um, I see what you're saying. I thought you meant like, I'm about to die and I'm getting my last meal made. Who oh, would no, I like, be made for? Oh, like, okay. Who would you not? Yeah, like the last person aside from myself. <laughs> Hannibal Lecter. <I'm> <laughs> I mean, my real answer is probably Avery. I'm not going to lie. Um, but I, uh, I'm i not going to name the person, but I have a colleague who uh, can barely cook chicken. So I feel like that would probably be the one. Uh, all right. So well, I'll, I'll say it's a bit better because Ham Lecter will probably serve you some, some human flesh. So, yeah, I would say, you know, I'm not in the mood to be eating a brain. So there you go. <laughs> I mean, I do enjoy I fava beans and Chianti, but. Uh... Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. Question two. What is a fear that you both have that someone else would say is incredibly silly? Oh, eternal damnation for sure. <laughs> if you've spent any amount of your life believing that hell might be a real place, all other fears seem silly. But if you haven't, then that fear seems silly. But that's it for me, for sure. Spending eternity uh, getting... Uh, poked by the devil while you uh, swim through a lake of flame um never-ending uh torment and loneliness and isolation yeah for sure that's that's number one for me and a lot of people think that's a silly thing to take seriously um uh, for me it's uh getting a seeing a log fall off a logging truck and come through my windshield like in final destination i know that like the chance of that happening is so 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 small also i very rarely drive on a highway where there are logging trucks so like i don't know what the deal is but like that is something that since i saw that in that movie i was like that would be the absolute worst way to die i'll say this much both those fears are reasonable i know if you think those are actual reasonable fears i will, will say would be terrible to endure so 
I'll say you both right to fear both them, as am I. <laughs> what what do you, what do you think is uh, what do you fear that people say is silly? Uh, I would say falling through a manhole cover. Like I try to avoid walking manhole cover as much as possible. <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah, I'm not the one that's going to give way. <laughs> nope. That's why you've always got to inspect manholes. Exactly. Of fears, though, something that I think about often, and I don't like. This is one of those things that that I think is what they call like. Um, it's not ideation, but you know those like thoughts where you're like, oh, if I just like stayed in the car with it running, maybe I wouldn't wake up. Like it's one of those things, but it's not like you're actually ever going to act on it. When I'm driving, sometimes um, at night, it's not. It never usually during the day, but when I'm driving at night and someone like goes and passes me, I'm always worried for no. Like there's no reason for me to worry that they're gonna like it's gonna stop and like start some kind of road rage incident because I was like driving too slow or which I wasn't, but like, you know what I mean? And when someone drives around, I'm just like, oh God, what have I done wrong? Um, it's not really, there's no founding for it. Nothing has ever happened, but I'm always worried that like at the next light, they're going to stop and like, it's going to be a thing. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. All right. And my, my third question now, if you could throw one thing onto a playing surface during a sporting event that is not a jersey, what would you throw? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Is it any sport? Any sport. Okay. Obviously, if I was in Houston watching the Astros, it would be a trash can. <laughs> like, there's no question in my mind. Well, that that's that a really good answer. Objectively funny. Um, although I don't know, like, I, I, I assume that at their stadium, I assume that all of their trash cans are bolted to the ground so that people can't pick them up and throw them. Um, so I don't know how I would get a trash can in there, but if I could do it, garbage can. That's better than anything I have. Like To me, the most amusing thing to put on a playing surface is always a live animal, but I don't feel that is also like kind of cruel to the animal. Even if the animal like doesn't die, like if you throw a bird out. Like I don't know if you've seen clips of uh, various hockey games where people have been chasing birds around the, the, the ice. That's always very funny, but I wouldn't want to sneak a bird in and throw it. It doesn't seem nice to the bird. So um, I don't know. Maybe like a nice handwritten note encouraging them all to do their best and love their fellow human. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I had to throw one thing, it'd probably be at a, it'd probably be a box rapid test towards Kyrie Irving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or just a picture of Neil Armstrong landing on the moon, walking on the moon. <laughs> a telescope. I would throw like, Kyrie or, Irving or, a telescope. Or like a picture of the Earth rising from the surface of the moon so you can see the curvature. Like anything like that, really. Sure. It's, uh, it's doable. Well, okay, I guess that is the end of a highly personal question. So I guess I'm back to my hosting duties, and uh, that that ends it. Uh, Megan, you have anything you'd like to show off or plug? I do not have anything I'd like to show off or plug. However, I would like to say um, we've gotten some feedback over the last little while with these, and we've managed to stick to a pretty regular like two-week schedule, which is nice. Uh, and I've heard some comments, just I don't know if you guys know this, from some people that we are the, quote, best Oilers podcast out there, unquote. Um, I didn't pay anyone to say that, so I'm going to take it as uh, I'm going to take it at face value and say that we are doing a good job. Further proof that we have the laziest and least sophisticated fans out there who do not <laughs> seek out any other podcasts. If you are lazy and don't really know what you're talking about, you come to us. We'll meet your needs. Uh, Avery, do you have anything to plug? And also, thank you, beloved fan. We uh, we like you also. Um, you, I will. Oh, Please do your best and uh, love your fellow human. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will just plug, as per usual, follow me on Twitter at AVRY and do my usual stuff there with Avery Sports Show, Zone Time, um, talk, Hockey News. I will also be at the World Junior Hockey Tournament. I will be covering the uh, both Group A and Group B. I will be in Red Deer from um, December 29th to New Year's Eve. So if you see me in Red Deer, come say hi, but don't get too close because COVID. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Come get infected by Avery. <laughs> Hope no, that is not what I'm trying to say, Stephen. All I right. I, uh, <laughs> I have a Christmas show where we're going to debate Christmas things comedically at the comic strip on December 22nd. Uh, come on by. 
And I'm also, I don't even know where, but I'm doing a show in Grand Prairie somewhere on the 29th. And I've never been to Grand Prairie before, so that's exciting. Um, thank you all. Merry Christmas. Salacious solstice. Uh, a joyous and peaceful Kwanzaa. Uh, what are the Hanukkah, obviously. Although I believe Hanukkah is already wrapped up, is it not? It has, yes. It was very early this year. I know my Hanukkah. I am smart and good. Okay. We love you all, fan. We love you all. <laughs>